Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. It was just about 20 years ago that um, 12 adults and 5 kids gathered together in the living room of my home with a crazy idea of starting a church. And uh, it was going to be a new church. Um, And the thing about it was, none of us knew how to do that. Because none of us had any experience with that. None of us had ever done anything like that. Um, So we didn't know how we were going to do it. We weren't even sure if it was really going to happen. Um, It was just kind of a dream at that point. And... And if it did happen, we weren't exactly sure what it would look like. (laughs) But we had one dream about it. That this would be a church that would help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That was the one thing we knew. That was the one thing we knew. We wanted to be the type of church where people who didn't know God or had little or no church experience, or maybe a bad church experience and been burned or given up on church, that people like that could come and explore faith and consider the claims of Christ on their own life and maybe, maybe discover the life that Christ had for them. And we knew to do that, we're going to have to do things a little bit differently. That we're going to have to do things in a way that made God approachable for people, that would make him understandable and and relatable. Um, We knew that we were going to have to do it differently if we were going to reach people who had given up, given up on church. And surprisingly enough, it took off. It grew. Uh, We grew past 15. We grew to 35, and we outgrew my living room, and we moved into uh, the old downtown post office building, and we outgrew that, and then we moved into a warehouse, and and here we are today. It grew, but here was the deal. When it grew, it wasn't like anything that any of us had ever experienced before in church, because the people that came and became a part of who we were They didn't know all the lingo. (laughs) They didn't bring their Bibles. They didn't have Bibles. And their lives were a little messy and a little complicated because they were making decisions for Christ halfway through a life without Him. And and so it looked very, very different. And I'm not just talking about musical styles or preaching styles. I'm talking about the people, the church. It just, it just wasn't, you know, these weren't your, your typical fine, upstanding churchgoers, you know. They were real people. And after about two, three years or so, maybe four years into it, one of our founding couples that had been with us from the very, very beginning, who had part of this dream of reaching unchurched people, asked for an appointment with me. And we sat down, and they started talking about how we weren't doing a very good job, that we weren't preaching this enough or preaching that enough, that we weren't, that people weren't bringing their Bibles, that, that people weren't doing that and people weren't doing the other and, and on and on and just kind of this whole list. And I said, but we knew that going into it and I will never forget these words. The wife of that couple said to me, she said, well, I thought we would do that for a little while and then we would be a real church. And that sentence has stuck with me because 
I realized in that moment, first of all, we were a real church. But secondly, that we were going to be making a decision from here on out. If we were going to be a real church, and for those who are listening to the podcast, I'm using finger quotes, I never do, but a real church, or would we be a church that is real? Because there's a difference. There's a difference. And over the last 20 years, we have made it a point of a church that we were going to be a church that is real. Where you don't have to know all the lingo and secret handshakes and all the stuff that goes on behind us. You just can come the way that you are. Now let me also tell you, for the last 20 years, we have had ministry challenges. We have had hurdles to overcome. We have had things financial, uh, ministry-wise. We have, we have gotten sidetracked. We have done some zigging and zagging along the way. And with it, I will also be honest with you, there's been leadership challenges for me. Guys, I've never done this before. I feel kind of like Indiana Jones, you know. I'm just making it up as I go along, you know. Because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't have all those answers. But I know this. That even with those challenges and even with the mistakes that I know I have made along the way. And the grace and forgiveness I have needed from you (laughs) along the way. And even when I would, at those lowest points, feel absolutely inadequate and lost any sense of confidence... I still had this burning thing deep inside of me of what God had called me to do. And now as we are kind of coming up on our 20th anniversary, not too long from now, and and we're heading into the next 20 years, I have been doing a lot of of praying these last few weeks. A lot of praying, a lot of um, reflection, uh, giving it a lot of thought and, and, and trying as best I can to listen to the leading of God's Spirit and just trying to discern, God, what do you have for us next? Where are you leading us in the next season of the life of this church? And as best as I can discern it, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me in those whispers so that I can lead your people? And I went back to some very foundational scriptures. These scriptures have been foundational to my life and ministry. They've been foundational to to who I am as a pastor and what I believe about the church. And they come from the second letter of Corinthians. Um, Because this is a church that the Apostle Paul founded. He was the founding pastor of this church. And and they were very, very um, dear to him. But they were not a perfect church. They were messy They had all kinds of challenges in front of them. And he had some leadership challenges with them too. He had founded this church and then left it in the hands of others to continue with it as he moved on and started other churches in other places. But these people had this this hold on him, this this place in his heart. And there was these leadership challenges and trying to help bring them along and discern what God was leading them to to do and and how he could help them. And um, these passages, particularly the second letter, has just been so meaningful to me. And it's been for me a chance to go back and say, okay, so what is it, God, that you've called us to do and be? And in 2 Corinthians, um, the sentence actually, the paragraph actually starts at the end of chapter 2, verse 17, but it goes in through all of chapter 3. So if you want to follow along, um, this is what Paul wrote to them. 
He says, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, a result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And such confidence as this is ours, through Christ, before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their, their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to unpack that a little bit for you this morning. Because I think these are foundational scriptures for a church that wants to be real. For ministry that is going to be real. And I think they are foundational to who we are and who I am. And I want to share with you just a little bit this morning about what it takes, what I believe Scripture teaches, what it takes to be real, to be a church that's real. And there's a couple of things Paul points out. First one is we need confidence, not in our own abilities, not in our own slick programs, confidence in God's ability to use us. And you might even on your outlines put a little insert there for confidence in God's ability to use each of us. Because each of us play a part in that. We're going to talk about this. That's what Paul says. He says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Our competence comes from God. He has made us competent. It is the competence of God that allows us to do things of eternal value. And we must be confident in what God can do in me, in you, through me, and through you. Because if you think that it all depends on you, if I think it all depends on me, that's overwhelming. That's just too big a burden to bear. It's, it's, it's just huge. And with that, we're afraid to take new steps of faith. We're afraid to take risks. We're afraid to try new things. Because what we are afraid of is failure. 
If we try new things and they don't work and they fail, then what? And I don't even think it's so much, I don't even think it's so much a fear, fear, fear of failure. Because I don't mind failing as long as nobody else finds out about it. I think it's fear of failure and what people will think because I failed. And I will be honest with you, I am all too susceptible to those thoughts about am I being successful? My job is to deliver the word of God, to preach and proclaim Christ. But in the back of my mind, there's this ongoing dialogue that says, are they listening? Am I being successful? Are they laughing at my jokes? <laughs> Are they tracking with me? How do I look? I think all of us struggle with that. I don't think I'm the only one. I think we're very susceptible, not just to fear of failure, but what people might think if we fail. And I'll tell you, particularly as a leader, it's particularly difficult because I feel like I'm the guy who's supposed to have all the answers. And I don't. And I've been real honest with our staff and with our board. I don't know all the answers. I don't. I'm just trying to find what God is doing in me and in us. And and let me just also kind of let you in on a little secret. When you take risks, when you do things differently... You will fail sometimes. In case you didn't know that, you will fail sometimes. Because even the best plans, with the best of intentions, as competent as we are, and as much effort as we put into it, sometimes won't work out the way we planned. But here's the deal. Even in our failures, we learn and we grow. Because even when we fail, we have tried something we have never done before, and we might have learned what doesn't work, but we've also learned there's some things that do work. And that's the point. If your confidence is in God's ability to use you, then step out and do something. Say something. Speak to that neighbor. Invite that friend. Talk to your coworkers. Take those steps because it's not just about you. You know, I, I, remember, I remember thinking at a point in the life of Northgate that was like, you know, when it was just us 12 and they were all pretty much just my 12 friends, if it failed, it was no big deal because we would still be friends and we'd find other churches to go to or something. I don't know what we would do. But if it failed, it wouldn't be that big a deal. When we got to be a church of four, five, six hundred people, then all of a sudden I felt like, oh man, I can't fail. There's 500 people depending on me. The truth is, God is bigger than me. <laughs> and he's certainly bigger than my failures. Because you and I cannot control the outcomes. I can't control the outcome. You can't control the outcome. And we're not called to. We are called to be faithful to the message. That's all he's asked of us. In fact, that's what he says. He says, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. What what Paul understood, like I think no one has ever understood, is it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. He wrote in the first letter to them, he said, I made up my mind to pay attention to only one thing while I was with you. And that one thing was Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That's all that mattered. It's not about me. It's about him and what he has done. 
So take steps that put you out there. Take those bold, risky steps. And let me just say, I want to say a few moments. I just want to speak to our students. Because you have, this week, as school starts, you have an incredible opportunity. Because no matter how many friends you have from last year, you're going to be in classes with new kids, and you're going to meet new friendships. And some of you made some very important decisions this year about your walk with Christ. And you have an opportunity to make an impact on your campus. You really do. If you will take some bold steps. And I speak to the students because I think they'll do it. I think most of us adults figure, well, I don't have to do that. I got this all figured out already. It's for all of us to take those bold steps because it's not about you and it's not about me. And you never know. You never know what God can do through you. You never know. And you will never find out if you don't take those steps. And when you do, it's incredible what God does. Just this last week, last Sunday, we had a bunch of people take big, important steps of faith in their life. And it was our baptism, and it was just a real celebration. People saying, I'm taking a new step. I'm standing publicly and declaring I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you missed that, we got a quick little video. I want you to see people who are publicly saying, I'm taking another step. Watch this. That's the payoff. That's why you do what you do. That's why we do what we do. That's why it's a, it's a thing that Paul was talking about when he says, you, are sel- you yourselves are our letter. We don't have the credentials. We don't got all the letters of recommendation. You are our letter. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ the result of our ministry. He could only write that because he was confident that God can use him, that God can use you. It takes a confidence in God's ability to use me. It takes a transparency then about our own weaknesses as well. And this is really, really important. It's really important to be a real church. We've got to be honest and transparent about our weaknesses. And everybody has weaknesses. 
Every one of us here does. If you can't think of any right now, go home and ask your wife or your husband or maybe your kids. They will be happy to give you one or two, I'm sure. We've all got them. We've all got weaknesses. And the natural human tendency is to avoid looking at them. That if I know something's not going really well, and I'm not being successful, or things are not working out, or if I got this weakness, I, I try to kind of, you know, if, if I just kind of put it out of my mind, maybe it'll go away. Like avoiding the dentist, because he might tell me I got cavities, and then he's going to drill. We try to avoid it. Or, or if we can't avoid it ourselves, we, then we try to conceal it so nobody else can see them. We hope, we hope that nobody will see, that nobody will notice. And that is particularly harmful for churches. Because there's a whole lot of expectations and ought-tos and ought-not-tos. And that can sometimes come about to, to, to kind of promote this outward conformity without real change of heart on the inside. And that's what Paul writes about. In fact, he says, We are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Now, if you're not familiar with that story, it comes from Exodus chapter 34. You can go home and read it this afternoon. When Moses was called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, and before they moved into the land of promise that God had given them, they spent some time in the wilderness, and they spent some time at the foot of a mount called Mount Sinai. And it was there that Moses went up to the top of the mountain to meet with God, where God gave him the law for his people. And it says, when Moses had met with God, when he came down from the mountain, because of that, that time spent with God, he said it's, his face beamed. It was radiant. In fact, it just radiated so much brightness and glory that the people couldn't look at it. And so he put this veil over his face so he could interact with the people. He had been with God and had this glorious experience and it just, it just shone on his character. And, and, and people couldn't look at it. Now what Paul says is the part of the story you don't know is he kept the veil on long after the glory faded. And his fear was that if people see the glory fading... They're going to lose confidence in me. If people don't see that glory anymore, if they, if they notice that I don't have that I've been with God kind of look on my face, they're not going to follow me anymore. And the sad thing is that there's a preponderance of that in Christian churches. That we are really good at doing the things that look good to people around us, but they don't change our hearts. And if we're going to be changed in the heart, then we have to be honest about our weaknesses. Because see, when I worry about other people's opinions, when I worry about what other people think of me, I become overly concerned with propping up an image. And that image is not the real me. And when then what makes it really, really hard is people like the image. And so I got to keep it up because if they see the real me, they might not like the real me. They like my image. So I spend all of my time propping up an image that isn't even real. And I'm missing out on what God wants to do in my life. In fact, he says, if that which, if that which was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory that lasts? You see, the law 
And the giving of law, that was glorious stuff because it was God telling people what life looked like in relationship with God. He was giving them instructions on how to live as a new community, no longer slaves in Egypt, but the people of God. And that's glorious stuff. The problem with the law was it can't change a heart. It's all about outward performance. The new, and that's the old covenant. The new covenant is about grace. It's about a relationship. It's about understanding that Christ did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And because I am now accepted and loved by him just the way that I am, with all of my faults and failures and weaknesses, now I can be myself and let God change me. Because I don't spend all my time propping up an image. I'm letting him change me from the inside out. And he says, that's the stuff that lasts. That's the real thing. And that is powerful stuff. Grace is powerful because it's honest. It's honest. It's relatable. It makes me a little less judgmental and a little more compassionate because I understand People are just like me. And I need grace. And so do they. And so Paul said, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We don't mind talking about our weaknesses. We are just out there. We are bold about who we are. And you can do that. You can do that in the promise of grace. And when you do, we become a church that is real. It's confidence in God's power. It's honest about our own weaknesses. And then there's a third element there. It is a tenacity. A tenacity in the pursuit of transformation. There is a tenaciousness. There is a stick-to-itiveness. There is a steadfastness. There is a, there is a pursuit that is going on here. And I am longing for the transformation because grace is about transformation. The old saying is God loves us so much that he takes us just the way that we are. And he loves us too much to let us stay that way. (laughs) That's grace. We are accepted as we are, but God loves us too much to let us stay that way. And grace is all about transformation. And the purpose of the church is to guide people in that transformation process. My job as a pastor is to guide people through that transformation process. Our job as leaders and teachers in the church is to guide people through that process. Our purpose as we encourage one another is to guide people through that process that we all become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people talk about, well, that's just a seeker church. And, and, and I don't get that because I don't fit any, I don't want to fit that mold. Because it's not just for seekers, but we better be welcoming of people who are seeking a relationship with God. But it's not just, God doesn't love one type of people more than he loves the other. He loves us all. Christ gave his life for all. And our job is to help all become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And what that looks like, what that looks like is a little bit less of me and a little bit more like him. That's what Paul says. He says, we who with unveiled faces now, transparent faces now, we all reflect the Lord's glory and we're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Or the New Living Translation puts it this way. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him. 
as we are changed into his glorious image. See, what Paul understood and, and what Jesus taught was the best way for people to come to find Jesus is to see Jesus being lived out in the lives of his followers. It's about transformation. And when people find what it is God wants for them, they are going to find it when they see what God is doing for you and me. And that's how it happens. We need to expect transformation. These, these, these extreme makeover programs are on all over TV now. You know, Biggest Loser, Losing All This Weight. You know, there's, um, there's Extreme Makeover, Extreme Makeover over uh, Home Edition. And there's this expectation on that program that the before is going to look a lot worse than the after, and the after is going to be an improvement. They expect a change. When they stand there and they say, move that bus, move that bus, and the bus moves, if what was behind the bus is the same old broken down shack that was there, people would be a little disappointed. (laughs) Because they expect transformation, and we ought to expect transformation in the church of God. And it's not going to be overnight. He says it's little by little, more and more like him. Now, the church can't do that for you. You must take personal responsibility for your own growth and development. That's your responsibility. You must do that. But we as a church must do all we can to help people move forward in that. Because that's our calling. And that means what a wholehearted follower looks like is it's less about me and more about others. It's less and less, what do I get out of it? And more and more, what do I bring to give to it? Because Jesus said, the greatest is the servant. He said the greatest commandment is to love God and love people. And you can't love people if all you're thinking about is yourself. See, that's what a wholehearted follower is. And every one of us have to take that responsibility for ourselves. But we must do it as we do it, always keeping those who don't know Jesus yet in mind. We cannot pursue our own spiritual growth, leaving others behind. We must always be reaching forward as we're reaching back. Now, I've been doing a lot of praying and a lot of seeking God and a lot of trying to listen as best I can to the Spirit of God speaking to my heart as to what that looks like. And in the last couple of weeks when I've had some time for a bit of a study break and a lot of time to just reflect and, and, and consider what God is calling of us, I took some time and I wrote down what I think is the perfect North Gate. And I just want to read it to you. I shared this with our staff a couple of weeks ago. And it's just, it's just, and believe me, I'm, I'm, I don't know how we're going to get there entirely, but here's what I believe Northgate looks like when Northgate is at its best. When Northgate is at its best, everyone who walks through our doors for the very first time is welcomed warmly, not by professional greeters, but by everyone they come in contact with. They engage in a conversation with someone who takes genuine interest in them as a person. When Northgate is at its best, the message of God's grace is understood and fully embraced by all, not just in theory, but in practice. That people are accepted as is without being left with the impression they have to clean up their act before they can belong here. 
When Northgate is at its best, that along with that acceptance, there is a clear understanding that we are all fallen, imperfect human beings. Loved by God. Redeemed by Jesus' work. And being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. When Northgate is at its best, then everyone who calls Northgate their home, regardless of where they might be in that transformation process, is relentlessly pursuing the life that God has for them. That we are all growing in our knowledge and understanding and in lifestyle and in service in this new life that we have been given by God's grace. When Northgate is at its best, we are a family. We are a community of grace. Because we are all in this process and no one has arrived. And we treat each other with love and with mercy. And we are patient with each other and we never give up on anyone. We encourage, lovingly rebuke, support and urge each other forward to spiritual maturity. When Northgate is at its best, our new life in Christ is not compartmentalized to one hour on a Sunday morning. It is not a part of who we are. It is who we are 24-7. Our daily lives, our interactions with other people, our behavior, our activities are a reflection of the Christ within us and are an act of worship that honors God in all that we do. When Northgate is at its best, we understand that spiritual maturity is not just about acquiring knowledge. It is about life change. We study, we worship, we gather together for the purpose of promoting that growth in each other as we each take personal responsibility for our own spiritual development. When Northgate is at its best, we have surrendered authority and control of our lives to God. Our time, our gifts, our talents, our finances, our relationships, are all his, trusting that he loves us dearly and that he knows and desires what is best for us. And we are learning on a daily basis what that looks like as we put it into practice. When Northgate is at its best, everyone, everyone is discovering and developing and using their unique God-given talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts in ministry, in the church body, and in the community. Not as a volunteer, but as a minister. Not as performing a duty, but as fulfilling a calling. When Northgate as its best, if we see a need or an area of ministry that is lacking, we seek a solution rather than grumble and complain. We take personal responsibility, however we can, to address the problem. Believing that God has brought this to our attention because we are to be a part of the solution. We don't wait for somebody to do something about it. When Northgate is at its best, we never lose our heart. We never lose our heart for lost people. We look at everyone, everyone we meet as someone who is deeply loved by God and for whom Christ gave his life. We recognize that God has sovereignly placed each of us where he has to fulfill his commission to reach lost people. That means that we go out of our way. We step out of our comfort zone. We reach out beyond ourselves for their sake. We don't seek our own comfort or our own well-being first. We seek lost people and we celebrate when anyone turns their life towards Christ. When Northgate is at its best, that's what it looks like. And that 
That is the church. That is the church that I believe people are longing to be a part of. That is the church that God designed to exist in this world. And that is the church that I want to be a part of. That's my church. That's my church. And for that to happen, it's going to take every one of us. I can't do that. Leadership of our church cannot do that. It's every one of us. Because for any of us to be able to say, that's my church, and be it true, then it also must be, along with that, that is me. That is me. I am accepting. I am loving. I am caring. I am growing. I am serving. I am seeking. I am reaching. I am inviting. I am bringing. Because if it's going to be my church, I am the church. So it's got to be me. And that's the church I want to lead. That's the church I want to be a part of. And that's the church I am calling us as a family to become. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more of what that looks like. But just right now, as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads for a moment. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.